good morning, Calvary Community Church. It's good to see you. As you can tell, we're jumping into a new series entitled Storyteller. Wasn't that video awesome? Uh, kind of really creative. Give it up for our creative team. They just do a great job just <laughs> keeping things cool. It's just awesome. Yes, yeah, so we have like, this brilliant group of people that just create. And how many know God's a creative God? And uh, we just get to, to follow him in that way. So we're so thankful you're here. We're going to talk about the stories, the, the parables of Jesus. And this is kind of our, our commitment this summer is to go through some of the stories that Jesus told. How many know there's power in a story? Uh, when, you, when you can share a story, sometimes a point gets across in even greater ways when it comes via story, maybe instead of just a dialogue. And so when you can tell in a story, an example, and Jesus gives lots of different points and lots of different teachings uh, with stories. So I'm gonna invite you to stand one more time you're just getting comfortable. We do this at Calvary. We're going to read the word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14. And uh, initially you're going to say, this, uh, I didn't really think this was a story, but there's actually two stories within this in Luke chapter 14. And the, the title on your Bible might say the cost of discipleship. It might say the stories around discipleship. It might say the stories around counting the cost. Uh, so we're going to read this. It's, it's the words of Jesus. So as we, as we jump in, we stand. As, as followers of Jesus to remind ourselves that I'm not the teacher this morning. The Holy Spirit's the teacher, amen. And the word of God is our direction as we listen to what God might have to say to us. In verse 25 of Luke chapter 14, it says this. Now great crowds accompanied him, that's Jesus. And he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build the tower, this is the first story, does not sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Verse 31, here's the second story. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation, a peace offering, and asks for terms of peace. So verse 33, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Two more verses. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we come before your word this morning. And Jesus, every time I just get the honor and privilege to share about your word, I just am also well aware of the cultural landscape we find ourselves in. And uh, Lord, to be a follower of Jesus sometimes means we swim upstream a little bit. Sometimes it means that we are countercultural. And so you've graced us with amazing opportunities like this to gather in a, in, a, in a place like this where we can worship you, we can give honor to your name, and we can be shaped towards the end of being disciples. Shaped as the end of, of being people that follow you with everything in our life. And so, Lord, we don't take these moments lightly. This is the huddle that we gather. And then, Lord, scatter us in a little bit to go out and be the presence of hope, the presence of Christ, the love that the world is so looking for. May they find it in us. 
because you're in us. And so shape us towards that end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen, you may be, you may be seated. Have you, have you heard this, this phrase before, on the way conversations? Have you heard this? Show of hands, who's heard this phrase before? Uh, this, this is uh, something I've like, actually come to love. I think uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to talk with people. Maybe you're on a walk and all of a sudden you're, you're along the way and something happens in the conversation and it goes a little bit deeper. I think some, there's something like disarming about just being together. Maybe you're in a, in a car and you're driving and, and you're on the way somewhere and all of a sudden like a, a conversation goes a little bit deeper. Uh, this, Megan and I, we have this iconic on the way conversation in our relationship as we were going down to Portland, Oregon one time and we were doing like a day trip to go get voodoo donuts. No one freak out. Voodoo is like a place that's called like a donut place. So I said it last night and I was like, oh, okay, yes, it's, it's okay. Um, it's these great donuts and they're awesome. And uh, so we would, we would go down there, we'd get them and we're like on the way down there and like a conversation came up and we're like, were you expecting that conversation today? And I was like, I was not expecting that conversation, but how many know that's what we needed in that moment, right? These things, these on the way type conversations. I've actually learned that I would, I would so much more prefer an on-the-way conversation than the other way around. Like, sometimes someone will text me, hey, Taylor, can we talk tomorrow at three? I'm like, yeah, what do you want to talk about? You'll find out when we get there, send. And I'm like, I don't want that one. How about you, right? I would much rather just kind of like have things come up. On-the-way conversations. This is how Jesus often taught. Jesus would be kind of on the way. We see this in this story. He was on the way. He was with his followers. And sometimes we even see Jesus. He's like, hey, you see that field over there? And then he would give them a teaching, right? We, we see Jesus, hey, you see that, that water over there? He'd give them a teaching. And this is, this is kind of where we find Jesus today. He, he's kind of on the way with his disciples and he's giving them a teaching. I feel like before I get to the passage we read, I wanna preach to this passage this morning. In other words, I feel like I need to unpack a few things before we get to this passage. So I need you to go, go with me a little bit. I, I wanna talk a little bit about the disciples. I wanna talk a little bit about discipleship. And then I feel like we can get to where this passage really needs us to be this morning. So let's talk about disciples. Uh, I, I love Jesus. Right at the beginning of his ministry, at about age 30, one of the first things Jesus does is he's sent out by the Spirit. One of the first things he does is he gathers a team. Now, how many know this is just a great leadership teaching? We could spend a whole time on this. How many know you can't do anything significant without a team? And anyone that's ever done something great for God, great for a business, great for a family, great for a community, it's always been because they've had a great group of people around them. And so Jesus models to us the power of a team. He, he begins to go into ministry. He's drawing crowds. And out of those crowds, he, he gathered people. Now, one of the things I think when we think about the disciples we think about just the, just the 12 sometimes, which is, which is appropriate, the 12 we find in scripture. But Jesus was teaching to crowds and at this point, even early in his ministry, he would have had hundreds if not thousands of people that would have considered themselves disciples of Jesus Christ. So we talk about 12. And so Jesus, he's teaching, he's gathering people, he's calling people up and, and he called these 12 to be kind of in his inner circle. And I'm, I'm not gonna talk about all 12 of the disciples this morning. But I, I wanna talk about one or two of them just that are so fascinating to me. The first one I wanna talk about is Simon Peter. And you might know this story, it's found in Luke chapter four, I believe, or maybe it's Luke five, but read both chapters. It'll be, it's good to read more Bible than less, right? And Jesus, he's, he's on his way, he's doing some teaching along the Sea of Galilee. 
And all of a sudden he, as often happens, a larger crowd gathered than that could just hear him with his voice. So he had to get out to the water so that the water could amplify onto where the people were along the shore side. So he sees this boat, he sees Simon Peter, and he's like, hey, Simon Peter, would you, would you take me out there? Like, row me out. I don't think they had motors back then. So Simon Peter rows him out. And Jesus begins, to, he sits down on the boat and he uses the water as this amplification for, for people along the shore side to hear him. He gives a teaching. Simon Peter's there. Wouldn't you love to be as a front row seat to Jesus' teaching? What a cool moment. And then Peter's not a disciple at this point. He's a follower of Jesus, but he hasn't been brought into this kind of 12. And so Jesus says, hey, Simon Peter, take me out to the deep waters. Like I just got done with my teaching. Take me out to the deep waters where there's fish. And Simon Peter, and he's just like, Jesus, I guarantee you there is no fish out there. Like I just spent all night. We've cast all the nets. We, all of us came back. We didn't catch any fish. And, and Jesus is like, dude, just take the boat out to the deep water. I promise you there'll be fish. How many know we've been like that before, right? And so Jesus takes them out and says, hey, put the nets down. Simon Peter puts the nets down and pulls them up and there's no fish. Gotcha, Jesus, told you there's no fish. And Jesus is like, put it on the other side. I could just love this interaction. And so he puts it on the other side. And the Bible says that there were so many fish that he could barely pull the nets and the nets were like breaking as the fish was coming into the boat. What a moment. And, and the Bible says, Simon Peter, he's just like, yes, Jesus, master. He literally uses the word master. Master, I'm so sorry. I, di I didn't have great faith to believe that you were, you were who you say you were. And so then he understands who Jesus is. And so Simon Peter rows them back or however they get back. They use the sail, they get back. And Jesus is like, pretty cool, huh? Yeah, that was cool. So now leave it all. Leave the boat. Leave the fish, leave your career, leave your family. Come and follow me. We're gonna go on an adventure together. Yeah, but Jesus, like you just saw, we caught all this fish. Yeah, don't worry. Someone else is gonna take care of it. It'd be a blessing to someone. This is a lot of money. Yeah, I know. Come and follow me, Simon Peter. What a moment. There's this other example of when Jesus is talking to and calling his disciples. There's this other disciple, his name's Levi. Levi was a tax collector. And, and Jesus, is, he's, he's kind of going along with a couple others and he goes up to Levi, who's a tax collector, and he's like, hey, Levi, would you leave the whole tax collector thing and come follow me? Levi leaves his tax booth and follows Jesus just like that. And, and here we are. I, I think you need to see that Jesus called these 12 people. He called many different types of people. He called an eclectic group of 12. You're like, why would Jesus call both fishermen and tax collectors and different like line of thinking, you're like, the fisherman probably hated the tax collector because the tax collector took all of his money. And we're like, yes, I know that too. I know the feeling of all the tax thing, right? And Jesus, like he calls them all together and he's like, hey, we're gonna do something great together. We're gonna go. But, but here's, here's the point of what I need you to see this morning is that Jesus calls ordinary, everyday people, amen. I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't wait for the super duper duper Christians in order to start calling people. Like, I'm so grateful because I, I'm just not that great on my own strength and anyone else relate with me. <laughs> I'm just a dude. And God's like, hey, I wanna use you. And how many know God wants to use a bunch of us in this room? He's not waiting for us to get our degrees. He's not waiting for us to look a certain way. How many know sometimes those are the things that can actually get in the way of us being used by God actually? He's like, I just want ordinary people that realize they don't have it in themselves because I'm gonna give them the strength. And the point of this is that from the very beginning, catch this this morning, 
From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was going to, yes, the crowds, and he was calling people. He was going to individual people, often right in the middle of their careers, often right in the middle of their comfort, and he was calling them to this word, catch it. He was calling them to discipleship. He was calling them to discipleship, out of what they knew and into kingdom work. And so you have to just see where, where Jesus is at. He, he gathers a team. He gathers these 12 people. These 12 people, they watch Jesus and they learn how to disciple based upon how they watch Jesus. They, they get to see Jesus teach. They get to see Jesus look people in the eyes. They get to see Jesus tear down cultural barriers. They get to see Jesus bring people together. They get to see Jesus heal. They get to see Jesus do miracles. They learn to pray from Jesus. They learn to find solitude with Jesus. And they eventually, they, they watch Jesus go before the, the Roman government and be, be sentenced to death. Yes, death on a cross. And they were there. They watched Jesus go through these things. And eventually they watched Jesus on the cross at Calvary that we, we are so grateful for that died for our redemption, for our forgiveness, for our brokenness, for our sins. And they watched Jesus die. They watched Jesus, some of them, maybe even be carried to the grave. And then probably in that moment of doubt, some of these disciples looking at, I'm not sure who Jesus is, who he says he is. And, and then Jesus, we know the story, it's what we celebrate on Easter. Three days later, he rises from the grave. And then Jesus, like, I, I, I can only imagine the, the stories that were being told. Jesus, you were who you said you were. You are who you say you are. Like, I'm gonna keep following you. And so then Jesus, right before he goes to heaven, he calls some of his disciples together. And he says this. He says, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority, you might know this passage, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Verse 19, so therefore you go and you make disciples of all nations. Catch that word, disciples. You make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So see what, what's happening here is that Jesus calls his disciples and he shows them discipleship. He says, I want you now to go and to go and make disciples. He doesn't call, catch this, he doesn't call them to go and to create seekers. He doesn't call them just to go and share the name of Jesus, though that is important. He calls them to go and to create disciples, to teach them, to show them the way. We are here this morning, blessed to worship Jesus, in Sumner, Washington at Calvary Community Church because of 12 disciples that took the call to go and make disciples seriously. We're, that, that's the reality. It starts back at that group of people that have come through the ages and now here we are. We're, we're called, Jesus called his 12 disciples. Within those 12 disciples, there's actually discipleship happening within the 12. And then they're called to go out of their circle and called to go and make more disciples. And this is what we're called to this morning. So what's discipleship in 2022? What is it? It's a continuation of what Jesus did with his original 12. This is what discipleship for us. Discipleship, it's like an apprenticeship. Like this word discipleship is a church word that, that just means an apprenticeship. It's like discipleship's a lifelong internship with Jesus. It's sitting with Jesus. In fact, I love what Dallas Willard says. He says it this way. Discipleship, it's being with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or become like 
that what that person is. An apprentice, then this is important for us, an apprentice of Jesus is learning from him to lead their life and how he would lead their life if he were they. This is discipleship for us this morning. There's three quick things. I I could probably give you 20 or 30, but I'm gonna talk about three quick things this morning that I think are really important when it comes to discipleship. The first one is this. The first one is sanctification. I think the first thing that's important when it comes into discipleship, this apprenticeship, this becoming like Jesus, is understanding the idea of sanctification. And if you're new to church and you're like, I don't know what the word discipleship means and I really don't know what the word sanctification means, let me try and teach you this morning. Sanctification is a big word. It just means to be refined. It means to be sharpened. It means to be grown. There's two, there's two if I could just teach you theology for a moment, I think we have to be thinkers and know these things when it comes to following Jesus. There's two key words that I think are important, justification and sanctification. Justification, an easy way to remember this is that God has seen me just as if, justification, just as if I had never sinned. The blood of Jesus covers my my sin, my past, and my present. Aren't we thankful for the blood of Jesus and the grace of God that looks at our life and says, yeah, it's it's not you that I see anymore. It's not your sin, it's Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus on the cross. This is justification. But then what justification does is it leads us into sanctification. Are you with me this morning? And sanctification, it's like this lifelong journey of becoming like Jesus. Because God doesn't just save us and just like put us on the sidelines for the rest of our lives. No, God saves us and then puts us in the game. And he puts us on a journey. And he says, I want you to become more and more like Jesus each and every day of your life. Aren't you thankful that life's a journey? Aren't you thankful that you're not who you used to be? Man, I'm so thankful that I'm not who Taylor Ford was five years ago. I'm so thankful that God loves me enough to refine me and has things he's working on my life even today. And I hope in in a year when we all regather back at the 11 a.m. service, we can say, yeah, I'm not who I was last year. I'm on a journey. This is sanctification. It's becoming like Jesus. It's, It's being realized we're saved by the blood of Jesus, but then we're filled with the spirit of God and the spirit of God begins to call things out in our life and sharpen us and change us. I love what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 says. It'll come up on the screen. It says, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, is separate, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is sanctification. It's, it's having a distinctiveness to your life. It's, it's allowing God to mark your life and to change you. This is the first element of discipleship. The second element of discipleship, of apprenticeship, is living relationally. It's living relationally. And this one I think is a little bit more challenging, but it's not possible to do the first element of, of discipleship and sanctification unless we understand the second one of living and living relationally. And I think in the last couple of years, if, if I could just be you know, bluntly honest about where maybe some of us are at, I think sometimes we have been so hurt by people and others, maybe even people close to our life, we have, we have disconnected ourselves from relationship. We've dis- disconnected ourselves from others. And, and hear me this morning, I'm not telling you just to go and trust anybody. I'm not telling you to just go and trust people because they profess to be faith in Jesus. But what I am imploring you and encouraging you this morning is to find a group of people that you can trust with everything in your life and then start walking and living and doing life with them. I think, I think when someone shares, and I don't have time to talk about this, uh, each service I've done, and so you guys might be here until like 
dinner time tonight, so we'll get ready. <laughs> but like, man, when someone, when someone shares sacred things with you, like the dark parts of who they are and they begin to be in community, and how many of us have done that before? Like we're like, I'm taking a risk right now. I'm about to share the things that are on the inside and then you share with another person. How many know you've just been invited into sacred space? Like place that only God has seen, now they've, they've trusted another person to see. And this is part of discipleship. It's us saying, God, God says if we confess our sins to one another, then we'll be healed. It's like this idea of us being in relationship with one another and learning to trust again, learning to trust other people. You don't need a thousand people in your life, but you need a few people in your life that you can really trust and you can tell everything to, living relationally. We're called to live relationally as the body of Christ. And in Ephesians chapter four, verse 13, there's a lot in this verse, but I just wanna read it and, and absorb what the Spirit puts into your heart this morning. Until we all reach unity in the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then catch this in verse 14. Then we'll no longer be infants, not tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful seeming. Instead, this is the call though, living relationally. Instead, speak the truth in love. Instead, speak the truth in what? Love. Instead, speak the truth in love. For we'll grow to become in every, every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. For in the whole body, get this picture, it's joined together. It's held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what's an element of discipleship? It's choosing to become more and more like Jesus every day in sanctification, but realizing that I can't become more like Jesus without you. And we need each other to be sharpened and to live relationally and become more like Jesus. And your weaknesses and my strengths and the things I've journeyed through, the things that you've journeyed through, somehow all these things that God is using in this incredible way binds us together and binds us together in love. And we're stronger together. We're stronger because we have these things in our lives. So that's sanctification, living relationally. Here's the third thing, what it means, an element of discipleship and it has to do with the last one I share, but I think it's worth going a little bit deeper is we have to learn to commit to the family of God. This is an element of discipleship. It's, it's jumping full into a community of believers, the family of God. Acts chapter two, it talks more about this and I'd encourage you to read it this week if you have time. But I, I love serving our high school students. It's one of the things I get to do here is work with our high school students. And I get this question asked to me all the time. They say, Pastor Taylor, can I be a Christian and not go to church? Have you, have you heard this question before? Maybe you've even processed it in your own. Now, from the get-go, can we just agree theologically that if you say yes to Jesus, that is how you get into heaven, amen? Will there be people that will be in heaven that never step foot in church? Yes, absolutely. This is the correct answer, yes. But here's the question. I love asking questions when someone asks me a question. Don't you love when people do that? I love doing that. Jesus did that. I learned it from Jesus, right? Someone asked a tough question, Jesus like, well, what do you think? You know, it's like, and so when someone asks me this question, a lot of times I'll say, so I'm married to my beautiful wife, Megan. Can I be married to Megan and us not live in the same house? Of course, I could be married to Megan and not live in the same house. How many of that wouldn't be good for us? 
would be good for our marriage. We would, over time, we begin to, to draw apart. We, over time, we lose connection. Over time, we'd just be living in our own existing ways. Even though we're married legally, we would not be in one accord. We would not be in unity of mind. I think the same is true with church. The same is true with the family of God. Can you be a Christian and not come to church? Of course, but how many know we need this? We need to be a part of the family of God. Acts chapter two, it's this beautiful picture of how they devoted, they committed themselves to the family of God. They gave resources. They sat under teaching. They were a part of community. When one person has a need, then they, they met the need of that person. At the last service, in this, this section over here, uh, many of you might know uh, Steve Woolry. He passed away this last week and our hearts have been broken. He was an elder here. Um, and just really quickly, just in the last couple of weeks, it's just been super hard how he passed. And so Michelle and the family were here at the 11 a.m. service and they were sitting right behind you, you, Krista, right over there. And 40 people were here to support her this morning. 40. People flew in from Idaho. People were here from out of state. All of the kids of their life group came to church this morning. And like, it was this beautiful picture of Michelle in the middle with like, a huge army of people around her. How many know that's the family of God? That's what we do for one another. Like we walk with each other, we go with each other in these things and it's an element of discipleship and if we don't commit to this, I think we, I think we, we miss it. And so this is discipleship. It's saying yes to the call of Jesus. It's living the way of Jesus. It's committing to a family of God. It's being transformed by Jesus. It's saying goodbye to some things in our life and saying hello to other things in our life. So I feel like in context, of all of that, Jesus calling his disciples, a continuation of his disciples' is discipleship, it's what we're a part of today. Those elements of discipleship, I think we can now understand maybe what Jesus is getting to in Luke chapter 14. It says this, now crowds accompanied him and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus, he, he, he calls them to discipleship. And then he, through this, these stories, through his explanation, he tells them there is a cost to this discipleship. And this is where I need you to get this this morning. Jesus says that salvation's free. Anyone can follow me. But if you want to be a disciple, if you want to have a cost of discipleship, there is a cost to it. And, and here's the cost. The cost of discipleship, it's full surrender of our life unto Jesus. This is the cost of it. Like, come to me and, and be my disciple, Jesus says, but you must be willing to give all of your life. He, he looks at them and says, if, you, if you're not willing to even hate your, your, your mother, your father, your, your wife or husband, your kids, you cannot follow me. And like any good Bible thinker, and I hope that's what we're becoming at Calvary is the types of people that read it and it's like, okay, what does this really mean? So I think the first time we read it, it should hit us like, oh my gosh, like this is a tough call. Like, would I be willing to do this? And I think we should take the next step and say, now what does this really mean? Like, is Jesus really calling us to hate our family? Yikes. <laughs> like, isn't family God's idea? So what is it? I believe as you study this passage and you study in the original Greek, this is a hyperbole. Jesus is trying to use the thing that is closest to people. He's trying to use the thing that is closest to us to, and, and essentially saying, would you be willing to give the things up that were closest to you if I was calling you? That's what he's trying to say. Would you be willing to do it? 
And how many know family is that thing for us? That sometimes it can go family, then Jesus. And I think he's trying to get us to see, no, no, no. Discipleship is Jesus first. And if you put Jesus first, you'll be a better spouse. You'll be a better father, mother. You'll be a better, better sibling. And this is what the call is. But the question is, are you willing to give all of it up? And then he goes to this. He says, he, he says would you be willing to hate your family? And then the second thing is, he, he uses hyperbole. Would you be even willing to lose yourself? Would you even be willing to give up your own life and take up your cross and follow me? Man, it's one thing to, to say, okay, I can probably do that. But how many know we love ourselves? We do. We love our plans. We, we, we have a high view of self in the United States of America. And Jesus is like, would you be willing to give that up? Now, I think sometimes when we, when we think about these things, we can just, yeah, okay. But put yourself in the lives of a disciple. Here they are, in this, in this Roman era, people are going and hanging on crosses all the time. It's commonplace. He says, would you be willing to take up your own cross and follow me? And this is probably initially what they thought. Yes, because Jesus, you're on your way to conquer the Roman Empire. You're on your way to be, get your own political party, have your own kingdom, and of course, I'll be a part of Team Jesus and watch everyone else carry their cross. I'll do it. How many know a little bit later, Jesus actually begins to carry his cross? And he dies. And now the question is, will you still be my, my disciple? Big, huge. Heavy. Like, I don't, I don't want us to just move on from like the, the weightiness of what I think Jesus wants us to hear out of this. Like, if you're feeling like, did Jesus just say that? Good. <laughs> this week I've been wrestling with this all week. And then Jesus, he tells these two stories. He says, it's like, it's like if you go to build a house and you begin to start and you didn't count the cost of what it meant to build the whole house. So maybe you just build the garage and you start on the, fountain, and you start on the rest of the house but you didn't finish the roof and there's no windows and the door's not in and you didn't finish the house. All of a sudden people would walk by and they'd be like, you, Jesus says, you'd, you'd be mocked. Like you, you embarked on an endeavor but you didn't think about what the cost was to do it. The same is true with our faith. Salvation's free, praise God, but have you counted the cost of what it really means to follow me? And then he shares this other, other story. He's like, and imagine that like you're, you're going out to, to war and there's 20,000 on the other team and you've got 10,000. Any logical person would say, not me. They are twice as big as us. And Jesus says, would you go though? If I called you, would you go? Like, would you count the cost of serving Team Jesus if that's what it took for you to go? Like, were you all in enough to be this discipleship, to grow in your faith, to become what God's calling you to be, that you would go, even if it didn't look easy, you would still go. Even if it didn't look in your own eyes like it made sense, would you still go? And he's direct with them enough to say, if you're not willing to go, you probably shouldn't be a disciple. 
Like, don't, this is not my words. Jesus said it. <laughs> so count the cost. Count the cost. He's like, if you're not, you might as well just send a peace offering. Send them some flowers and chocolates or something. <laughs> but count the cost. This is the words of Jesus. You know what I think this means for us today? Because the cost of discipleship, it is full control of my life to Jesus. I think for us in 2022, it, it means not relying on cheap grace. I think if I were to sum it all down to this, it would, not, it would mean not relying on this cheap, cheap grace. What's cheap grace? Cheap grace is proclaiming we're believers, but not having the life to back it up. It's proclaiming you're a follower of Jesus, but the trail of actions behind you looks nothing like Jesus. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says cheap grace is this. This is the definition. It's gonna come up on the screens. Cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without repentance. It's baptism without the discipline of community. It's the Lord's Supper without the confession of sin. It's cheap grace is, catch this, it's grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross, grace without the living incarnate Jesus Christ. And here's, here's the tough reality and the encouraging reality all at the same time this morning. Sometimes we operate in this cheap grace because we're not willing to count the cost of what it really means to follow Jesus. But the truth is, if we will just go all in to following Jesus, if we will go all in and say, I'm gonna count the cost. I know this means I lay down my life. I know this means I lay down, I lay down my desires. I know this means I lay down the things closest to me. Yes, even family, even my ideas of what the future will look like. If I just lay down those things and I take up my cross, I, I die to my old desires and I live into this new life of what God God is promising me. The reality is, the tough reality is you can't achieve it on your own. The good news is the grace of God, the real grace of God, and the spirit of God will meet you where you're at and take you to places you never could have imagined. This is what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see. Will you count the cost? Because if you count the cost and say yes, watch how I'll use you. Watch how your life will be used for kingdom work. And your life will now begin to have significance beyond your time here. Because you'll not leave a trail of inauthenticity. You'll leave a trail of people's lives that have been changed and are now in eternity because of you. Because of Jesus in you. So there's a cost of discipleship and Jesus wants us to know it, it, is, it is gonna be tough. I am gonna raise the bar and you're not going to be able to achieve it apart from my grace and apart from my spirit. But then this is the, this is the caveat. There's a cost to discipleship, but there's also a cost to non-discipleship. And can I tell you, there's a cost to discipleship, but the cost of non-discipleship is actually a greater cost. And I'm closing here, so stay with me. The cost of non-discipleship is even more. Non-discipleship, on the screens it says this, non-discipleship, it, it costs us abiding peace. What's it mean to not be discipled by Jesus? Yeah, it costs you your peace. It costs you a life penetrated throughout by love. It costs you faith and vision that sees everything in the world in light of God's overriding governance for good. It does cost you, it costs you a hopelessness that stands firm in the midst of discouraging circumstances. It, it does cost you, it costs you the power to do what's right. In short, this is Dallas Willard, by the way. In short, what's it cost us to have non-discipleship in our lives? In short, it costs us exactly 
the abundance of life that Jesus said he came to bring. So there's a cost to following Jesus. Laying down your life, laying down your desires, laying down your possessions, laying down your money, laying down the things closest to you, living life with open hands and saying, God, I wanna be a disciple of you. Use me how you wanna use me. Even if that makes me uncomfortable, I'll go. Even if that calls me to places that I never thought I'd go, I'll go. Even if that means I need to proclaim your name in places that are uncomfortable and, and maybe even not gain some friends because of how I choose to live, that's okay because I don't need the approval of man. I just need the approval of God. And to be willing to go and count the cost. So there's a cost to it, but there's also a cost not to. And not to means that you get to try and live life in your own strength. How many know where that leads? Tired, burnt out, wondering how you got there. It leads to a lack of peace in your life. It leads to maybe feeling lonely and not having Christian believers around you. So Jesus says, the ball's in our court this morning. Like, will you, will you commit to counting the costs? And really, don't just try and build a house and, and not go for it. Don't just try and go to war and not really calculate what it means to go to war. Like, understand what these things really mean. And we are soldiers in Jesus, aren't we? We are builders building the kingdom of God, aren't we? So maybe so that we say, you know what, there's gonna be a cost to it, but it's a, it is so worth it. Because at the end of my life, however long God allows me to be living on this earth, I want it to be said of Taylor Ford that he gave every ounce of his life, blood, sweat, and tears to building the church, building the kingdom of God, allowing God to take me and use me in places that make me uncomfortable. Because in those moments of uncomfortableness, man, God uses me in great ways. I want the same for you. I want the same for us together. And so he ends this whole dialogue about counting the costs, laying down your life, carrying your cross, calculating what it means to build, calculating what it means to go to a war. And then he says, let's talk about salt for a second. Don't we, don't we love salt? Salt's awesome. He says, if salt's lost its saltiness, what's the, what's the good of it? He says, it's like, it's no good for the soil even. And it's not even any good for the poop pile, the manure pile. <laughs> like if you lost your edge, if you've lost your passion, if you've lost your saltiness, the things that make you distinctive, the things that God gives salt to the believers so if we can be, that we can season the world so that we can look different, so that the, the, the colors and the, and, the, and the taste that comes from us as followers of Jesus, it is different than the world. So what will we do with what we've heard? Jesus ends it and says, now those who have ears, let them hear. Do you have ears to hear this morning? I think it's time to count the cost. All right, God, what are you calling me to? And I'm all in. Or this is the reality and the responsibility if I'm not. Let's pray this morning. I just want you to just take a moment with Jesus. Like I, I stand with you here in this moment as a pastor because I know when I, when I spoke, speak these words this morning and I call us up to truth, I know that that makes a lot of us uncomfortable and I'm the first one to say that makes me uncomfortable because I know that the things that Jesus say 
They're so different than the things that we believe about how life should work. We're submitting to a different type of, of living. And so I just, I, I just, I'm with you this morning. Like I'm right there. And if you're like on the edge of like, I just wanna give everything to Jesus or if you're, maybe you need to recommit or for the first time and let me tell you, his grace is so real. He loves you so much. If you've ran from him, he's not angry at you. He's not tapping his foot, wondering when you're gonna come home. He is waiting at the front door with open arms saying, yeah, come home, come back. And now, now that you're home, let's remember that this is, we're in this together and I'm with you even to the end of the age, even when it's difficult, I'm not gonna call you to something I'm not gonna be with you in.